0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. The Afterword is our weekly podcast where we talk about what we didn't get to talk about in the weekend message. And I thought this week I'd just start off with a story. I know, story time with Dave. I know you love it. This story takes place in college and it's about my friend Fiddy. Now, Fiddy was not his real name. Everyone called him that, but his real name was Matt. But everyone called him Fiddy because he was on the track team and he was not very good. He was not very fast and so the rest of his his teammates said that you were so slow, you're not even worth 50 cents. Now, I'll have you know that that nickname actually predates Curtis James Jackson III, known professionally as 50 Cent, the American rapper. This was before all that, but that's what his nickname was. So here's how the story goes as I remember it. And again, this could be completely wrong and completely inaccurate, but it's how I remember it. And um, it makes for a good story. So here it goes. So Fiddy's older brother also went to the school. Now his brother was a senior when Fiddy was a freshman. And so at one point, I think it was at Christmas, his brother was doing an internship at a biotech firm in London. And so Fiddy thought it would be cool to go visit his brother. So he flew out across the Atlantic and landed and his brother picked him up and was showing him around London and where he lived. and. And took him back to the lab to pick up something that he had forgotten. And Fiddy is now jet lagged. And he's not just jet lagged, he's also super hungry. And so he's like, dude, I'm starving, I gotta get something to eat. So they're in his brother's lab and his office is where he worked at this biotech firm. So his brother points down the hall and says, hey, if you follow this hallway and just turn right, there's some vending machines, just grab something and I'll take you out to dinner. I'm almost done here. And so Fiddy's like, cool. So he's walking down these corridors and to the left and to the right are these lab rooms and fitty looks in one and he sees this bank of refrigerators with like clear glass doors and inside these refrigeration units are tissue samples human tissue samples human feet and human cadaver parts and human hands and fitty suddenly loses his appetite Now, what's really weird about this, if you think about it, is that why did Fiddy lose his appetite? I mean, it's just a toe, it's just a hand, it's just a finger, it's just a toe. You've got 10 of each, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that a human body part disconnected from the body is actually gross. It is death, it is a hunk of rotting flesh that must be refrigerated so it doesn't decompose. That's what happens when a body part leaves the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul makes this extended metaphor explicit and says that the the church is like a body and that a part, if it's separated from the body, actually is going to be really hurt. In fact, we need each other and we need the body and the body needs us. This week, J. Kim stops by and we go through the New Testament teachings on church what a church is, what it's about, how it should be organized, and some kind of high level definitions to try to give a proper definition of what it means to be a church. What, is, what do the New Testament writers mean when they say the word church? So we have a definition that I worked on this semester with a whole bunch of folks in my cohort in seminary. And so uh, I kind of threw that out and Jay and I kicked it around, kicked the tires on this definition. Hopefully it's helpful and hopefully it's illuminating. And I think you'll find this definition is both confronting and comforting. So it both confronts us and it comforts us. So let's dive in as Jay and I talk about the church and why it matters. All right. Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword, here with J. Kim. What's up, everybody? And excited. So this past weekend, you and I spoke on the final week of Called Out. Yeah, the big conclusion. Yeah. Um, first of all, we usually do three loves. Love God, love yes. one another, love your neighbor. But this this year, we wanted to do, like, why is it important to gather?
1: Yeah, so, as, a, as a concluding remark, sort of yeah, tying up the three loves together. Yeah. Because
0: it's been super weird
1: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: it's just been a weird year and we a half. haven't been
1: gathering right <laughs> I mean we have recently but so yeah.
0: as a church leader in the middle of the pandemic, how weird was it for you that the church couldn't gather?
1: yeah, so strange I mean existentially strange. I hated it, did yeah. you I mean like in a deep visceral way did you yeah totally you? yeah I mean it was uh, it was marked by sadness and disappointment for sure and then on a deeper level, it forced us to ask all sorts of questions about what the church is, and and does gathering even matter anymore? You know, if uh, in
0: a digital age of where I can access online content
1: and online messages yeah. that are way better than anything. Yeah, I can attend using air quotes if yeah. if online is all that I need. I can attend any church I want. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it forced us to ask. All those questions, which uh, was tough, but important. Great, yeah, it was great that we were forced to wade into those waters.
0: Was it clarifying to you this past year and a half
1: in terms of what it means to be the church, yes. and gathering and all yeah. that? Yeah, hundred percent, super clarifying.
0: How did so you're saying your convictions solidified? Yes. And what are some of the the core convictions that came out? Just as because you also wrote Analog
1: Church, yeah. So you were wrestling with these ideas. Yeah, and that then, book came out. It, it was released t- three weeks after we went into lockdown, but I wrote it long before yeah. I knew a pandemic was going to course, course. You know, force us all online. So you're already
0: interacting with these ideas mentally mm-hmm. about the disembodied church, yeah. video venues,
1: what yeah. is church, what's it mean? What convictions solidified during COVID for you? That embodied people need embodied people. And that that is actually uh, hardwired into God's sort of blueprint for humanity. A design. Yeah, he, yeah. it's not random or accidental. Yeah. God designed us to need one another, Yeah. to be with one another and with him, you know. Um, and that, that, uh, that Jesus was serious uh, when he said that, um, you know, take this uh, bread and drink from this cup. This is my body and bread. Um, and that it's pretty hard to eat and drink uh, digitally, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, those are literal, physical, analog things you have to do. And that the New Testament is serious when it calls us the body of Christ, you know, that sort of uh, communal, Eucharistic uh, turn of phrase where the body of Christ, the sort of broken... Uh, body and blood of jesus poured out for the world and we we are that collectively yeah we're that collectively so you're talking about westgate oh well this this gets into our conversation today yeah uh i'm talking about westgate for sure i'm talking about your life group you know yeah Yeah. uh your mid sized group that young professionals group you're a part of here i'm talking about westgate church as a whole talking about the bay area church i'm talking about the global church the historical church all of us we're the body right Um, now we can't physically gather with the historic you know it's (laughs) hard to gather with augustine (laughs) yeah Yeah. but um but in as much as we can gather in our local context i think that's the way we express our belonging to the body of christ while also we said this before while also making room particularly in this season for uh the need to be online for some people who, for health reasons or other reasons need to do that totally get it you know Uh, yeah right so a valid concession for extenuating
0: circumstances of course definitely
1: definitely And, and, and there are some folks who like they're here you know they show up but there are some Sundays where they're out of town or they're traveling for something. Of course, sure. And they watch online because... They want to be connected to Yeah, they, they want, want to stay connected. That what feels a, very different. Yeah, what yeah. a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, the analogy you gave is like when you're away on a business trip, you FaceTime your kids. Yeah.
1: But that's not, you do that because you want to stay connected, but that's not
0: what you're after.
1: Yeah, but I wouldn't be like, I'm on this business trip in Philadelphia, and wow, what a great city. I've got FaceTime, I'm just never going to go home. I'm just going to live in Philadelphia because I got, you would never do that. Well, especially because
0: it's Philadelphia.
1: It's very cold. Yeah, there very the cheese steaks there. I have. I mean, they're, they're serious. It's it's unbelievable. The with whiz. It's actually exactly. I mean, the whiz is not. It's, it's not, not cheese. cheese. It's a, it's a thing. Cheese product. I yeah, it's, I don't think it's actually food, but it's so delicious. It's so good. Yeah.
0: Okay. So here's what we're gonna do now. Um, I have printed out in front of you. Yeah. A definition of what is the church. So good. Yeah. This so is a survey of New Testament teachings that yeah. I went through with. The head of theology at uh, Western Seminary, Gary Brashears, he's a professor there, and he kind of walked us through this, and we just, as a whole class, just studied and studied. So I'm going to give you these definitions, and I want your reactions to it. So this is a five-part definition with five kind of little clauses, and we're going to go through them one by one, and I'd love to hear your your thoughts. Okay, the church is a group of confessing believers. Boom. Dave dropping bombs okay. on the very first point. Okay, so now, here's where it gets a little confusing here. Yeah. Um, there's something called the visible church yeah. and the invisible church. Mm. And people have thought about this for a long time. Yeah. The idea of the, the, the visible church is the people you see in the pews. Yeah. And those may or may not be people who are confessing believers. Right. Right. They might just be there. They might be visiting. They might be checking it out. Yeah. They might... Um, they just might not they be... They might be deconstructing. All those have deconstructed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So the theologian said, well, that's the visible church. But the invisible church is all those who have kind of pledged... Allegiance yes. and put their faith in Christ. Yeah. Those are the confessing believers that are invisible. Right. And the idea is that we can't see the invisible or the invisible, but God can. Yes. So yeah. talk about that um in terms of how the the, the church is a group of confessing believers. Because obviously at Westgate, in any given Sunday, in any <laughs> gathering, there's yeah. there's gonna be some folks who probably don't fit that description. Yeah, they, totally. they, they wouldn't even self designate yeah, as a totally. confessing yeah. believer. And we love that. We love that there are
1: folks who are a part of our community who are not Christians, you know, Um, or they're exploring or they're spiritual but not religious, whatever it might be. Uh, Karina Gerard, who um, is on staff with us, worship pastor, incredible teacher, Uh, she leads something here called Alpha, which has been like, man, what an amazing gift um, to our church. And Alpha is basically a space where people... Who, who most of the time are not Christian, uh, come to, to just ask their questions, share their doubts, explore Christianity, explore faith in sort of a safe, you know, welcoming environment. So that's a part of our church life. And many of those folks are—and here's where where it gets interesting. Many of those folks are a part of Westgate Church. Yeah, I mean, they, they come here on Sundays. They sit through— the service, the, the church where I was on staff previous to this, Vinish Faith in Santa Cruz, uh, one of our most involved leaders was a young man named Evan, who I love, who is not a Christian. Now, he didn't lead a small group. We didn't have him leading, but he was an usher for us. You know, he handed out bulletins, and he was exploring faith, but oh. had not yet sort of crossed that line, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, this is... I'm glad you explained the visible and invisible, because I think uh, this is probably coming as a shock to a lot of people who are listening. They're like, wait, what are you talking about? Almost every Sunday, Dave, every Sunday, Jay, you guys get up there and at a certain point you say something about, hey, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian or you're not a believer. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're a part of our community and all those things. So are you saying those people are not a part of our church or they don't belong in our church or they're not welcome in our church? And that is so not what we are saying, you know, Um, which is why that distinction is so important. Biblically speaking, the Christian ecclesia, the called out ones of Christ, are confessing believers. They are ones who have confessed and professed their belief in Jesus and their allegiance to Jesus as king. Therefore, they are then called out of the old life into Into the new new, life, out of death into life, out of, you know, whatever. Um, but we use the word today also to talk about just the local community that is our church community, Westgate Church. And so, uh, yeah, I, I like the way you, you So in that. some ways, the church is the
0: group of confessing believers who have been given a radical new identity because of their allegiance in Christ, yeah. who have been called to love and serve one another, who have been given a new identity, forging a new community, the Ecclesia. And in other ways, it's... The people who are gathered in a certain geographic range yeah. inside the boundaries of yep. uh, a worship service. Yep. So it's kind of a little, a little, a little. Yeah, it's a, there's
1: a, a semantics issue yeah. happening there. You know. But,
0: Interesting. Yeah. But every local body, in theory, probably has seekers,
1: sinners. Yeah. Some would disagree like, with saints. Me. Some would disagree with me here, but I would say every healthy local body Mm -hmm. should have those who do not yet believe. If the church exists for the mission of God in the world, then, man, yeah, we've got to have that.
0: And then, side note, and this is parenthetical, some people, they grew up Catholic, and they've heard the term parish. Oh, yeah. And the idea of a parish is that a local church is responsible for a geographic area. Yeah. And they serve that geographic area. And we don't use the term Uh, like parish that we but i guess in some ways we would say that you know we have responsibility for all of san jose but also cupertina and saratoga so there's there is a sense in which we're inhabitants in a city yeah but um it's not like we've parsed it up with other churches and said you guys take this zip code we'll take that right but we we do view the this part of the bay area this part of the region as our the geographic region where God has placed
1: us for influence and service. Yeah. 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 Well, there's that, uh, that question that you and I, uh, having joined the Westgate team, you know, seven, eight years ago or something we inherited from kind of the, um, Steve Clifford and that whole yeah. crew where they, years ago, they asked that question. If our church burned down, would anybody in our neighborhood or our city care? You know? Yeah. And that continues to be kind of a driving force for our church is like, we want to be a, a parish in some ways that our local geographic area is impacted in a positive way with the love of Jesus, for sure. Right. But in general, the idea is that the
0: group of, the church is a group of people who are confessing believers. That's what we want to call people toward. Yes. We want to call people toward being a confessing believer, placing their allegiance. So that's yep. that's the call. Down. Uh, and now, second clause. Yeah. So the church is a group of confessing believers— organized under qualified leadership yeah and this is where it gets kind of kind of interesting the, the idea is that the church has appointed leaders yeah. who have demonstrated the character the life the Allegiance the commitments to the way of Jesus who is ultimately the head of the church yeah and because they have the fruit of the spirit in their lives and they have followed Jesus for a Undesignated, protracted (laughs) period of time, maybe years. And they've shown their willingness to labor for the church. As servant leaders, that is what makes them qualified. And the idea here is that servant leadership under the allegiance of Jesus, demonstrating his character. Um, And that the primary metaphor for a leader in the Bible is all throughout the scriptures. Peter ratifies it. It's the word shepherd. Yeah. One who cares for others. So, talk about qualified leadership, um, as you understand it, because that's a big one. Yeah. Because if it's not qualified, if if the church is led by people who aren't qualified or who don't meet those qualifications, things can go really wrong.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this one probably grates against sort of cultural yeah. norms quite a bit. You know, we, we don't like... Uh, I mean, you know, American culture is by its nature sort of anti-authoritarian. We value personal autonomy and individualism quite a bit. So when we think about uh, governing bodies, for example, as Americans, we primarily think about them as institutions that are corrupt, for one, or as institutions at their best designed to serve us and serve our needs. And so when we think about the church sort of you being... Don't, neither of those is true, yeah, <laughs> ideally. <laughs> yeah, and it gets a little tricky. Um, but then, you know, the way of Jesus sort of flips all that on its head when you get to a deeper understanding of what biblical leadership actually is, which you mentioned. It's actually shepherding. And, uh, you know, I've never been an actual shepherd, but what I hear is it's a messy, dirty, thankless... Um, labor yeah I mean, real labor yeah. to keep uh sheep alive and healthy yeah you know what i mean like sheep don't look at their shepherd and think oh there's our ruthless master lording it over us uh, they think about their shepherd as one who protects them allows them to live and roam safely yeah uh across pastures to grow healthy to experience community with one another yeah that's That metaphor is really intentional. And that's important because I have friends who uh, went through kind of a very, you know, sadly typical uh, deconstruction of faith or at least deconstruction of their ecclesiology, meaning what they think about the church yeah. sort of phase, and, and now are like really angry and very anti-organized church. And that's what they call it. It's like that's the organized church. What they mean is like, Oh, you're like the Facebook or the or the Chrysler or the, like you know the Pepsi Cola of church. Meaning, it's just like you know, like uh, you know, like we're gonna stand against the man sort of mentality. Yeah. That anything
0: organized is, is like going evil. to lead to corruption and has ulterior motives. Yeah.
1: and I understand yeah. that because there are sad, tragic stories of that in the church. But it is undeniable. That biblically speaking, uh, the church, the Christian church is always organized under leadership, but not any leadership, not a whip and, you know, taskmaster type of leadership, but shepherding, you know, keeping the flock safe and protected so that they can flourish and be free and grow. um, There is a cynicism. I mean, mean, you and I both have talked
0: at length about the the recent fall from grace from a, a number of high-profile leaders. Yeah, Christianity Today has that the podcast, The Rise and Fall of... Or Who Killed Mars Hill? It's called um, The Rise and uh, Fall of Mars yeah, Hill. Yeah, and there's a sense in which these stories inhabit our national consciousness as Christians. And if we're honest, it does make us a little cynical about yeah. like these things because it's like, oh, the, you're just out for yourself or right. those things. Um, and that... That can be hard for some people, especially those who have been wounded by it. Yeah. But you're saying to labor for this kind of vision of qualified leadership, yeah. spirit-led, yeah. biblically grounded, biblically educated, yeah. spirit-filled, fruit-filled.
1: Yeah, the, the fruit of the spirit and the attributes of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. I mean, when you talk about abuse in the church, when you talk about... The podcast, you know, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, man, that is one of the things. You know, it's really interesting. Meaning you don't see that. Yeah, you, you don't be, see. Yeah, It's you, an absence of those things. Yeah, love, joy, peace. Right. Patience. Kindness. Kindness, goodness. Self-control. Gentleness. Self-control, gentleness yeah, yeah, all of those things, you know. And to, a, to
0: an extreme, it's interesting because those fruit of the Spirit actually aren't even valued in some sectors in in leadership at the highest levels yeah people are like actually a good leader is somebody who's not gentle They're they're rough and they're strong and they tell it like it is you know those kinds of things or they put it to the man they put it to my enemies you know and those that kind of um christ-like leadership is uh, the character is, is is absent and applauded in many right. sectors in our society. So that, right. that's what makes it even more confusing because Christians are like, well, if that's what a leader is, I guess I want that in my church.
1: Yeah, I mean, not to get too far into the weeds here and only like 2% of our audience will be interested in any of this stuff, but I, I've thought a lot about this and I've had some conversations with with good friends, church leader friends about this. Hmm. Uh, I think that generationally... Um, huh, A friend of mine actually said this uh, not long ago, that generationally, he thinks that we in the 80s and 90s, for a variety of reasons, we had an entire generation of um, those who are familiar with the Enneagram. We had an entire generation of like Enneagram eights who rose to prominence in church leadership. And there was a confluence of events that made that happen. It was the marriage between the evangelical church and big business, you know, and business principles. Whatever. I'm just going to name names because it's interesting. You know, like when Jack Welch, who was the CEO of GE, uh, became very good friends with Bill Hybels. Yeah at uh, willow creek and jack welch actually at one point i think it was jack welch who actually at one point said he thought bill hybels could actually be president of the united states that his leadership skills were that off the charts and welch is um you know a leadership guru a legend in leadership in corporate leadership yeah and in that sort of model of leadership you almost you need typically an enneagram eight yeah you know somebody who is power, strong yeah aggressive willing to take it to the man go against the status quo forge ahead they're really focused on climbing mountains you know whatever building the next thing
0: taking the next hill yeah which is why
1: you have the high bulls and the james mcdonald's and the mark driscoll's and these really sad stories of men that i don't know personally but who did great harm you know and some of them continue to do Great harm. Because the goal was to build a big thing. That's right. And they did it. Yeah, And they kept
0: building it. Right. So So that might not be the model that the New Testament's trying to give us. No,
1: but this friend of mine said something really fascinating. He said that we think that we're past that now because we know about spiritual abuse and we're not... And he says, and I don't know if he's right, I just think it's really interesting. And you may have to edit all this out. I don't know. Okay, I can't wait to see what you're going to say. Too much in the weeds. But he said... Actually, now, it's not that like we recognize uh, poor leadership in the church and it'll just go away. It's that the leadership will just look different. The poor leadership will just look different. And he says, um, I actually think one of the things that's happening is we have a whole new generation of young leaders. And he's my age. And he's a church leader. So I think we have a whole new generation of young leaders who are Enneagram 3s. And I'm an Enneagram 3. And he said the real insidious danger of this is that Enneagram threes want to be beloved and, and respected um, and cheered on and applauded by others too much to be as abrasive as an ape. But there's still the same insidious longing for power and for, yeah. uh, you know, notoriety and all of that stuff. Yeah, just the way we go about it is actually, Way more deceptive yeah. as in Enneagram Three. Yeah. So he's like he's like intentionally praying that God protects the church from all of that, which is really I mean this is sobering because yeah. I'm an Enneagram Three and it was yeah. really helpful for me to hear that yeah. you know. But I share all of that stuff in the weeds to say if you've been hurt by the church, man, I'm really sorry. That's not Jesus's plan for the church. That was a person yeah. who went awry and they hurt you um god's plan jesus's yeah. plan for his church and leadership in the church is the the model of shepherding
0: yes. one of the things that's interesting also it says leaders plural yeah, yes, so there's always a sense um of multiple voices yeah to counteract the very thing that you're talking about yeah um talk to me about how you see that playing out and how you view kind of plurality of power plurality of leaders yeah. Um, because that's how you've operated at vintage that's how you operate here yeah and it feels like that's a core condition of yours
1: yeah yeah it is for me personally i mean i think most churches have an elder board or some form of an elder board so there's plurality there you know here at westgate we have an elder board with i think 10 you know lay elders or close to 10 Um, and uh and then you know some of our executive team is on that board as well uh, and then we take it a step further here, and this really comes from Steve. Yeah, most people here at Westgate experience Steve for forty minutes on a Sunday when he's preaching, and and he comes across, and he is a very strong leader. You know, like we're gonna climb that mountain, and I'm climbing it alone if I have to. Who's coming with me? You know, and uh, that's definitely him. But I think most people at our church would be really shocked. Uh, and this is a side of him you see all the time, yeah. Dave. You know, yeah. I think they'd be really shocked if they were in a room with him in the middle of the week, working on something. I mean, he has strong opinions for sure, but he is—he's so generous about sharing leadership. Hmm. Now, I mean, he has his limits. Sometimes he's just—he needs to say, like, "No, I feel—I feel a core conviction by the spirit of God moving in me that this is what we're called to do." And he does that, but he does that sparingly. He does that when he has a really strong sense of And he always always does that in a group. Yeah. They're yeah, talking yeah. in a group. And he always listens in to a, the group first. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the things I love about our church. And, of course, I'm biased, but I've been on staff at other churches. so. Yeah um and they've been great churches it's not but, always like that yeah it's not always like yeah. that so there's something really
0: beautiful about that i remember here, so. early on i came into his office one morning and, and he was in a bad mood yeah. i was like why, why are you in a bad mood He's like <laughs> ah the elders didn't let me do something i think i really wanted to do and i'm still mad about it <laughs> yeah yeah so it was like wait the elders told you you couldn't do something yeah and he's like yeah I've never seen that I, the, the, yeah i've and, seen it i've been in the room in my mom in yeah. the models i've seen the leader just gets whatever they want and the elder board's just a rubber stamp yeah and he, he listens and i to think
1: it. that's a sign of a real alarming sign of unhealth. totally you know? totally and uh yeah i've been in the room when that's yeah. happened when steve's got something and then the elders <laughs> prayerfully are like yeah. no yeah. we're gonna you know yeah yeah it's and then yeah. of course it gets it gets resolved
0: yeah and then of course he trusts it and it turns out to be the right thing yeah. okay next next phrase um, the next phrase is who participate together in the sacraments mm. which are outward signs of spiritual truth the two sacraments I wanted to talk about are communion and baptism Yeah, um, and these are appointed by God and given by Jesus himself that demonstrate our unity yeah. as a body Yeah, communion through eating and, yeah. and drinking and remembering <laughs> the sacrifice of Jesus and, be, and literally his yeah. body and blood Yeah. And then baptism is that, it's the sign of a an inward shift of allegiances uh, to Jesus, yeah. and that those are both given. Um, anything to add That I mean, that's just what we do. So. No, yeah, it's
1: a beautiful thing. I mean, we, we um, I think we take it too lightly sometimes. Yeah, to talk to me
0: about that. Sometimes, um, like I know at Vintage, they do communion um, every, every week. Every Sunday, yeah. We do it like every three, four weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's... Do, do you do you have a core conviction on that it should be done every week? I, I was reading the other day that yeah. there's a house church in, in in the house churches in Afghanistan. They take it daily. Wow! Because yeah. of just the tension right now, they're like, Holy we says. need to remind ourselves daily. Yeah. These underground leaders in the in the Afghan church are yeah. taking it daily, and, and yeah. the, there's something yeah. about that man yeah. that really resonated with me. You know. Yeah. So talk about um, frequency. There's because nothing in Scripture says how yeah, frequently. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So no, I don't have a theological core conviction uh-huh. like we're being unbiblical if we don't take communion x amount of times. I, I don't have that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, uh, but i have a preference and my preference is that we take it as much as we can Okay, you know, i guess that's a good one i guess that's what i would say um, yeah. that's a beautiful story about the christians in afghanistan taking it every day in some ways you know I, I do think in america i feel like in this podcast i'm like harping on america i'm not i love it's our, our culture.
0: culture it's our cultural moment yeah
1: we don't literally hunger and thirst and I think that affects our spiritual hunger and our spiritual thirst. Mm. Yeah. Um, but in, in parts of the global East and global South where there's a literal hungering, either a literal, hung, literal hungering for literal food and drink, or like a literal hunger, hungering for literal peace, or whatever you know, or yeah. safety or whatever. Yeah. Uh, communion takes on a whole new added religion. way. Yeah. yeah. Sharing that meal together, yeah. and it was a meal originally. I mean, that's the other piece too, right? Yeah. Like, in the early church, communion was the bread and the cup, but it wasn't what it is today on a, on a literal, sort of physical level. It wasn't like a really cardboardy wafer out of a plastic little thing. And some a, Welch's grape tiny juice. Tiny little yeah. It was like, it was a meal, you know? Yeah. So, not that we can practically do that all the time, but it would be different if you showed up and it was like... We're going to have a meal together. A glass of wine, yeah. and you know? Like a... a a freshly baked loaf of bread and some really good olive oil. Well, how
0: many churches have you been to? I know this is this is big in lots of different churches where they have like a fellowship hour after, where they just well, have I food. Well, I grew up in that, right? in the, the Korean Parliament. American church. Yeah. David Kim, one of
1: our pastors, he and I both grew up in that. We talk about it all the time. Is the, So bonding. And that was communion for us. Yeah. I mean, that was remembering yeah. the body and blood of Christ as we sat and shared a meal for an hour and a half. Yeah. Just laughter and yeah. So same thing for me in Hawaii.
0: That's what they would do yeah. after the services. Everyone's just there forever. Yeah, and so all the kids to me and
1: pineapple juice becomes a body was, and blood. There it and, is. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Okay, uh, and the next clause is a group of confessing believers organized under qualified leadership who participate together in the sacraments and are being holistically formed as both individuals in a group to follow Jesus by. And then we have four things: yeah. evangelism. Edification, exaltation, and building shalom. Yeah. So let me go through these. Evangelism is where witnesses to tell the story of Jesus, yeah. to share our individual personalized Jesus stories, with an invitation to join the big Jesus story. Yep. Yeah. That's what that's evangelism. Yeah. Edification is equipping people to practice and live out the way of Jesus. Yeah. After his model. Exaltation of Jesus as the Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Yeah. And then the last one is building shalom. Yeah. By doing works of compassion, goodness, and justice to demonstrate God's good reign and to live out God's ethical and moral character. Yeah. Now, those four, one of the things that Brashears was saying is the middle two, edification and exaltation, almost every church is on board with. Yeah. It's the first and the fourth that often get really either dismissed as non-important or even called like secondary or yeah. not not and that's evangelism inviting people into the way of Jesus and sharing your story and then building shalom doing acts of compassion goodness and justice is that your experience too do you kind of agree with on that um, on that yeah, assessment I, yeah i th- i
1: think so but i think um, that might be more true in particular churches i mean this is a longer conversation i think if you go into into far more sort of extreme Reformed communities that what Gary is saying is probably true. And he might be saying that from that position because he he has a lot of experience and time spent in Reformed circles. Because he's in Portland, he's a seminary prof. Yeah, and and, you know, I mean, yeah, definitely there's a whole sort of swath of churches that say like the church gathers primarily to um, exalt King Jesus, you know, to give our worship to him. And then the equipping of the saints, you know, sort of equipping them for the works of ministry and service and evangelism and certainly like issues of justice and the shalom of the world become secondary or they even become, they get pitted as like great evils that stand against the gospel or something. Yeah. But I, I think that there are other extremes on the other end, on the other far end of the sort of ecclesiological spectrum where there are, pro- and I'm being very broad speaking in generalities yeah, just here just um, you know on the much more progressive liberal end I actually think there's more of an emphasis on the church is simply for social Shalom, yeah the good of the world and where and your it, private allegiances lie doesn't matter yeah it doesn't and, matter where you stand yeah and they'll you know sometimes you'll see some version of it where it's like the exaltation of Jesus is the work of Shalom which is not untrue. But it's, not, it's just not complete, you know? Um, or uh, the edification and equipping of the saints is particularly for the work of outside the walls of the church, which is true, but not completely, uh, just, just not complete, you know? And then evangelism, evangelism even sometimes gets co-opted as like, we just got to be good neighbors and that, right. which is also true, but just sort of... Right, so, so it can get mushy on both ends I think of the so. scale. Yeah, I think so, which is why what Gary says here, this sort of biblical definition of, of um, you know, being holistically formed is so helpful because it's yeah. all of these things. And
0: everyone, let's be honest, everyone has a weak, weak one of these. Yeah. And so it's good to know which one you're weak at yeah. and then to, to try to lean into it. And then lastly, here's the last clause. Yeah. That gathers regularly. Yeah. There it is. The idea is that this historically, the church has gathered. This is included, usually, um, has included historically a feast. Um, And this is community or life together, not merely an hour on Sunday. Yeah. And not merely Bible study, but more holistic than that, more life. And that we are family, and that this is actually not really metaphorical. Yeah. That something mystical and spiritual has happened to somehow bond this geographic group of confessing believers right. into a new thing. Yeah. A new thing. Yeah. Um
1: what does regularly mean? <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. that is that once a week? Is that once every other week? Well, traditionally. Yeah. It was once a week and has continued to be once a week. On Sundays, the believers gathered. Yeah, yeah. But does that
0: also include small groups in your mind? I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, again, uh, a confessing group of you know believers uh, organized under qualified leadership. All of our, you know, you would say all of our life groups and um, such are even our labs. You know, they're. Organized under qualified leadership. We have an elder board sure. who, who sort of centrally, you know, oversees all that we do as a church. So I think that's all church. Yeah, every time we gather. And it's not like you have to have particular elements for it to be the church because the church is not an event. It's a people. Yeah. So where we are gathered together, you know, experiencing all of these things, we, we are the church. So yeah, I think church happens all the time. Yeah, and it should happen all the time. It's
0: one of the phrases I've heard, um, gosh, I can't remember where I heard it. I think it was from North Coast Church. Yeah. They said, "There's church around the stage and church around the table, hmm. or church in rows and church in the round." Yeah, yeah. There's this idea that this thing happens on the weekend and it's corporate and big, right. and this other thing happens that's smaller and intimate, where you're known and you share your life and you pray for one another and you really share life. And they say both are really important. And because they're kind of a larger church, they're working really hard to do both. Right. Um, is, that, that, is that kind I mean, we have similar models here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about that in similar way. <coughs>
1: yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. It's all church. You know, it's all church. And it takes on different forms. And Yeah. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. You know, I think that's a really beautiful, wonderful thing. And something that I hope our people... Um, we talk about it a lot, but I hope our people really, those of you listening, really embrace that. You know, church is not the hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. Yeah. It's uh, who we are all yeah. the time and everywhere. And the, the, and the idea here, of this definition, is that
0: the participation in this forges and forms us. Yeah. Because it changes the stories that we listen to. It changes the stories that define us. Yeah. It changes our habits, and it changes the people that we're around. Right. And you change those three things on any person, and their life is going to be shaped and formed That's over right. a period of time. Yeah. And I tell you what, this COVID, I, I feel the same way as you do. I've never been more convinced and never been more sure and never been more um, solidified in my belief that this thing called the local church when healthy is life. It's yeah. lifeblood. And I missed it so much. I, I was not my best self when I wasn't gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't process even my own life, let alone what's happening in the world. I was so frustrated. Right. How can you be the hands and feet of God if you're not allowed to go anywhere or touch anybody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was miserable. Yeah. Just a miserable I don't think. I hope I don't forget this lesson from mm. COVID. Yeah. anytime soon i hope that this passion continues for for a long time and right. uh and i'm just i'm just grateful uh this church and lots of other churches across the the nation and world that are laboring to to be faithful to these new testament texts
1: yeah totally i'm with you man
0: all right well jay thanks for thanks for your time anything else you need to, did i forget Thank something you. anything oh no, that need? was awesome yeah
1: that was awesome we're so grateful for you listening you our church yeah we love you guys. All right. We'll see you next
0: week. Just want to say thanks to J Kim for stopping by. Join us next week where we dive into our brand new sermon series called Abraham, a field guide to loving God. We'll be in the story of Abraham for more than 10 weeks. We're so excited about diving into that old Testament narrative and we hope to unearth some incredible treasures. So, Join us for that starting next week. We'll see you soon.